Okay. Hi, Father. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. What's your best name? Uh, Robert. Oh, Robert. Yeah. Uh, so I, I double-checked the email. It ended up in my spam folder. So she did <laughs> confirm. It's just that it ended up in the wrong folder. So it's technology's fault. Yeah. Uh, Father, it how happens. do I pronounce your last name properly? Uh, Emilou is fine. Emilou? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, let me do a countdown from three, two, one, and we will get started. Are we using Skype or uh, just... I thought we were just doing it on the phone. I didn't get a link for anything else. Oh, okay. Is that okay? That's, that's okay with me. Okay. Uh, all right. So I will do a countdown from three, two, one, and we will get started. That's okay. All right. So here we go. Three, two, one. The holiday season is fast approaching, and one of the most important holidays in all of Christendom, Christmas, is on its way. And things that we tend to celebrate that Western Christianity doesn't necessarily always remember is the Advent season as we prepare for the nativity of Jesus Christ. Today I am speaking with Father Maurice Emilou, uh, who's also a doctor, uh, I believe PhD, and we're talking about his new book, An Encounter, A Daily Discovery in Divine Word, Volume 1. Father, how are you today? I am well, Robert. How are you doing? I am great, Father. I am thrilled to speak with you. Uh, we had a little bit of a miscommunication earlier, depending on time and scheduling, but thank God we got that fixed. And, uh, you know, I am excited to talk to you, especially with, uh, you know, the world that we're living in right now. Yeah, I'm excited to, to talk with you. And thank you so much for the fantastic work you are doing, trying to add a little light moment to our day-to-day -day busy schedule through your fanboy nation. And that's uh, awesome. And thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to share, you know, light moments with you, um, especially with regard to Advent and Christmas, and, and get us started for the great celebration. So I'm excited. <laughs> you know, Father, we're typically a secular site, but right now I think uh, we need a lot of faith and a lot of people to uh, at least examine their faith in one way or another. And Advent is one of the perfect times to do it uh, in the Roman Catholic Church and in, I believe, the Lutheran and Anglican churches. Uh, Advent is celebrated for 25 days. And then uh -huh. in the Eastern and Oriental Orthodox churches, it's 40 days. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, the Orthodox churches tend to have, I, would I say, their, their liturgies and their sense of time seems to be richer, if I would say that, without losing my Catholic base. <laughs> you know, 40 days, that's, they want to make it complete. You know, the symbolism of 40, that's beautiful, actually. <laughs> Daily devotions have, you know, we, we've heard people that have become either spiritualists or secularists talk mm -hmm. about meditation. And people yes. tend to forget that prayer is a form of that meditation, and so are these daily devotions. Uh, yes. How did you decide to now write a book as a companion piece to the already rich culture of the Roman Catholic Church? Beautiful, beautiful question. I, you see, I, I would like to tell a story. Please. Because I think that story puts the whole context as well as the the setting for 
the nuggets I provided in, in, in those volumes. Actually, there are three volumes um, that came out this year. Um, the first volume is the Advent volume you are talking about. And then the volume two is the Lenten volume. And then the volume three is the Easter volume. It will be a total of seven volumes, but the first three are out. So it, it, it became, it was a spiritual journey. And uh, a spiritual journey where I just wanted to be more centered. You know, we're heavy into social media, heavy into technology stuff, heavy into a lot of activities every day. You know, if you're busy in a typical day America, um, a lot of things are happening. But I felt, you know, sometime to have some quiet and reflect on my get centered. Uh, and I, I, I like to do that in, in the chapel, you know. And that moment, I started to have this kind of, why not just journal some of your experiences in this quiet moment. From journaling the first day, it became the second day, and sometimes I would journal three, th four, five times in a day of those kinds of spiritual journey. So it became a sort of a soul-to-soul -soul communication with with my core, with, with God. And... Uh, and I started to blog some of those on my blog site, and people loved them and wanted some volumes of those. So I said, hey, you know, when the audience is calling for something, maybe there is something here. <laughs> so I decided to develop it further, and that's what you see in those volumes. So it's, it's not speaking to the head, it is speaking to the heart. And I am a case study in that journey, and if it helped me, maybe it could help somebody else. Why not, if you love something, just give it away <laughs> so that others can share in that. So it, become, it became sort of my reflect part where you reflect and then you have a personal introspective re reflect path and then a prayer path that has that meditative dimension to it. If you will, contemplative dimension to it as well. So that's how that whole volumes. And, and this is something that is fascinating about the volumes. You know, the normal, typical um, check for similarities with other volumes out there, which is a basic practice these days. If you want to make sure the authenticity of your work and its originality, I was just shocked or rather surprised when I checked it. It's 98% original content for all three volumes. Really? So that tells 98 percent. I'm not exaggerating. 98 percent. So you are drawing this kind of inspiration from a rich, long tradition of of religious experiences, religious texts, the scripture, and things like that. And yet, to reflect it in such a way that the the software could give it a 98 percent originality. That's amazing. That tells you that it's really a unique journey in the spiritual exercise. And, and that's why I feel, you know what? Give it away. Let people enjoy that too. You know, Father, uh, this is fantastic news and the fact that 98% of it is, you know, a revitalization for the 21st century within Catholicism. Um, yeah. You know, there's five different C's within Catholicism. And, you know, there are different cultures that influence the various sees uh, of the Catholic Church under uh, the current Pope, Pope Francis I. 
How mm-hmm. you are originally from Africa, from East Africa in Nigeria. How is the Nigerian culture influenced on Catholicism versus what you've noticed coming to the United States and seeing how the Catholic Church is here? <laughs> That's a very, a very good question. <laughs> I don't know if it is a, if, if it is a, a, an intellectual question or a phenomenal question or an empirical question, but I will try to attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, right away when I came to the United States, the first shock I had in terms of faith and faith experiences in the Catholic Church was I never, the whole idea of conservative versus liberal, uh, right versus left, Catholic, I never, it was a concept that was strange to me. It was like foreign to me. Because where I come from, actually I come from West Africa, from Nigeria. West Africa, I'm sorry. Yes, which is consistent with many of the African traditions. Uh, it's not, the world is not, is not a discrete set of data like in computer language where you're saying um, binary codes, you know, like one or zero. The world is not like that. Where I come from, the world is like a communion that is complex in which you don't just classify people by binarity of black or white <laughs> because there are so many gray areas in the mix. And that's why the whole idea of conservative versus liberal or right, left versus right is not a typical African way of looking at reality. There is something more fundamental to that understanding because it's also shaped by the cultural worldview of the African peoples. Our worldview is more, it's not linear. It's like a circle, it's circular. And because it's circular, it can emerge so many things that are so convoluted and complex. Now, that was my first shocker. So that for me, I was just simply a Catholic and I'm a Catholic. Uh, and being a Catholic, just like you come to any family, you have different people with different ways of looking at things. And being able to have a healthy conversation with those people and not feeling like they are not members of the family is something that is natural to us as Africans. So that's one of the uniqueness I found. <laughs> Because even the framing of the question, the way you frame the question, is a typical Western style of framing question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's because we, again, it, it does what I would call a perfunctory function. It, it, it performs a role because we want to classify things into types so that we can make better sense of those things. But in the real world, <laughs> Those types may not be sufficient. <laughs> you know, Father, with Advent coming quickly t- upon us and the significance of your book for the timing, when we decide to pick up volume one of these devotionals, and these are companion pieces, these aren't, you know, you didn't rewrite the entire Mass. No. Uh, you know, this is, uh, 
you know, how does the devotional relate to, um, you know, the current mass that's used in the Roman Catholic Church and then the section of pre-Vatican II Catholics that still just want to have the Latin mass? Yes, if it's focused on, I used, I used myself as a case study to engage in what I call liturgical spirituality. A liturgical spirituality is a spirituality that follows the the time structure of the church in its seasons to deepen the spiritual journey, which means every day you are trying to be rooted based on the theme of the liturgical readings of that day. In the pre-Vatican II, the liturgical readings are for the most part, consistent with the post-Vatican II. Just like in the pre-Vatican II, we still had the three main seasons of Advent on Christmas and Lent and Easter, and then we had the ordinary time of the year. It's consistent. There may be differences of the change of the, of the dates or the weeks, but the readings fall the follow the same themes for those seasons. Even in the Orthodox Catholic Church, you will see, or the Orthodox churches, like the one you belong, mm-hmm. you will see that consistency of the tone of, whether it's 40 days of Advent, it's still Advent at the mirror, the expectancy, expectant hope, expectant joy of the Messianic experience, of the coming whether it is the coming that is happening now or the coming that is to come later in the in the in the consummation of things, it is the same expectant delight. Or Christmas, we are celebrating the incarnation, the birth of the Son of God, and on and on. It's the same thematics across the same, the seasons, whether pre-Vatican II or post-Vatican II. So what I did was to use myself as a case study, not as a priest this time, though I'm reflecting as a priest, but as an individual who has been touched by this mystery, by this Lord, by this grace. And as an individual, how is the text of week one, Advent, Monday, how do those texts speak to me? And based on my experience in theology, in biblical research and all of that, then how do I speak, allow it to speak to me in the way someone age seven, someone rather in the seventh grade can understand? Not like a theologian or a scholar, but like someone who is in the seventh grade. And and now I allow that to happen. So it became a deeper reflection centered on that theme. And then a few questions for a reflect guide if I wanted to explore more as an individual in that path. And then sum it up with a prayer like, you know, for grace of that moment that draws from what I have reflected. So it's three parts. Short reflect part that is sort of allowing my the spirit to flow through the thoughts between three hundred 
about 400 to 600 words. And then a, a couple of reflect questions that could be used by individuals or families or, or communities to just, hey, let's ask ourselves these reflect questions. And then the prayer part that summarizes it. So it, that's the structure for each day. And sometimes I have two for each day or three, depending on the readings that emerged and, and all through the year. So it becomes more like a companion. And I wanted it to be like that. Um, I can read you, for example, if you don't mind, um, how some of the reflect part um, look like. For instance, this one is December 19. That's embracing divine faithfulness. So I will just read the first line of the paragraph and then I go to the reflect question guide and then the prayer. So you see how it looks like. Okay. For example, says December 19, the, the, the theme is embracing divine faithfulness and it tells you the text where it's drawn. And that text is consistent with the liturgical text for that day. And then it says, I reflect on the immeasurable credibility of God regarding the fulfillment of promises made to his people including you. That's the first paragraph. And then I, I then reflect on that. So the first paragraph introduces sort of the purpose statement of that whole day and walks you through the path. And after that, there is the reflect. Reflect. To what extent do I, like the Lord, I worship, keep my promises? Do I know the limits of what I might or might not do? How do I feel when others don't keep their promises? What do I have in place to prevent me from putting myself in a situation that makes me less credible and reliable? So that's the reflect path. Remember the theme for that day is embracing divine faithfulness. See? Yes. So it gives a sort of a short reflection. That is about 500 words and then leads you through a reflect question and then look at the prayer. Pray, Lord, I read in the book of Psalms that anyone who keeps their promises reaches your mount of glory. I don't always keep my promises, in part because I'm often, because I often overcommit. Sometimes I consent, consent too quickly without thinking about what it entails and then find myself unable to follow through. Give me the grace of behavioral integrity to know what I can fulfill before I even commit and to follow through with all my promises. Amen. You see, that's just like a sample. Yeah. So each day is like that. And so each day helps us reflect on the spiritual tone of the season itself, leading into Christmas and the nativity. Exactly. And so let's go back. You know, we just uh, you just gave us the example from day nineteen. So mm -hmm. if we go from day one, what of Advent? Expect? Yes, of Advent, <laughs> the twenty third day, the day before Christmas Eve. What should we expect to see in our spiritual growth within those 23 days leading into the nativity? So if we go from day one, day one begins with that expectant, putting us on the disposition of expectant, someone who is expecting something unique. Okay, so it is a tone of spiritual expect expectancy or expectation. 
and then he walks you through each day towards building up to that great treasure that is to come. And then on the day before the Christmas, if you want, I can read you the intro page of the day one and the reflect on the prayer and then read you the intro page of the day 24 before Christmas so that you see how it's all tied together. You know, uh, if you'd like to read just the first paragraph of each one, that would be fantastic. And yeah. that's good. So this is the first day of Advent, walking in the light of God. That's the first day. It was pitch dark. The wind tore down roofs. This one is a story format. Tore down roofs and damaged electric cables. Weather channels warned of the impact hours ahead, but no one expected the storm to be so severe. Many thought it wouldn't hit their homes, but it did, badly. Already set a stage for a disastrous scene, and then goes details into telling us how we're going to be prepared for a moment like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that is a story format, but there is a version two of it that is thematic format, which is here. I welcome you to the first Sunday of Advent. As you might know, Advent is the Latin word for to come, or in another sense, the coming. It refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As you might also know, it is the church's new year. So, happy new year. See how it started? Mm -hmm. But then, the first line of 24th, day 24, that's, that's um, Christian. Five Christmas. So this volume one is divided into two parts to start with. The first part is the Advent and the second part is the Christmas. So the first part ended with December 24 and let's see here. So December 24. My heart is filled with joy. The the, the the theme is blessed to be part of it. My heart is filled with joy to read the encounter between King David and Nathan, the prophet, and Nathan the prophet, as recorded in the second book of Samuel 7. I'm particularly moved by the holy desire of David to provide a sacred home for the Lord. I read with keen interest the musing of his heart to build such a house. I also noticed his sadness. He feels grateful to God who has blessed him, but he feels God deserves a better place than a mere tent. And then he begins to say, he's setting the stage for how do we build this better place for this new child that is being born. See? Yeah. And then the next day is the Christmas day, and, and it's just... It's just amazing, and it's simply amazing to allow oneself to have that deeper, deeper journey. It's beautiful. So this is the last reflect part of the last reflection of that year, of the season of Christmas, which is actually the feast of the baptism of, of Jesus. 
this reflection might be a little more scholarly than usual, given the nature of the message. Bear with me. So, <laughs> so when I want to do a little more theology, I signpost and say, hey, this one will be a little more scholarly. Please bear with me. And I will give a reason why I wanted that approach. But I, it happened maybe three times. So look at the reflect part. On this special day, I reflect on my baptism. The day I was born anew in Christ. How do I keep the memory of my new life in Christ alive? How do I celebrate my birthday in the Lord? The day I was born again. I might have to do a better job of keeping, keeping this memory alive. I'm marking it as the best day of my earthly existence, my belonging in the body of Christ. Pray, Lord, renew in me the blessings of my baptism. May the memories always be fresh, and may your sanctifying grace never depart from me. May my life ever be led by your life in me. The life I received when I was baptized with water and anointed with the oil of salvation. Through me, may others find new life in you. My baptism is also my initial commission to be yours and to shine your light for everyone to see. Give me the grace to shine and lighten the world around me. Amen. That's the last prayer of the first volume. And that ends that uh, epiphany. Yes. Wow. Uh, Father, you know, the world itself, I want to tie this in from the secular, uh, secular world into the religious one. Uh, you know, we hear a lot on the news, oh, your Christmas gifts might not show up in time. Oh, you might have to reduce your purchase list. Oh, this, oh, that, you know, in regards to the commercial, commercialism of Christmas. Uh -huh. Yet through your book, you know, uh, you know, and an encounter, a daily discovery in divine word, and this is volume one, you know, we reflect on the more spiritual aspect and the necessity of Christmas rather than the commercialized Christmas. Exactly. What would you tell people that somehow try to blend the two in how it might not work out in their best favor to have the commercialism with the spiritualism? That's a very smart question, Robert. <laughs> you can, you can, you can, you can have some good time during Christmas and at the same time be deeply spiritual. You can still buy gifts, of course. Chris, one of the reflections talked about gifts is a time of sharing gifts. But let's go beyond the gifts we share. Remember why we share those gifts. We share those gifts because somebody gave himself for us. A child is born. Peace to the world. Isn't it why we are rejoicing like the chants of the angels? Because the divine, the holy, gave himself to us as gift to the world. Joy to the world. Angels chanted. The shepherds chanted. So, the gifting that experience of Christmas has become more commercialized is we are echoing this ultimate gift that has been given to the world. Now, if you see it that way, then the gift items that we crave for and we give to people will have a deeper meaning. 
And that will save us from unnecessary commercialization that takes away from the core. Because you can give beautiful gifts, but give them from the heart. From the heart that is centered on the mystery, on the great faith that we celebrate that season. I understand some people will say, but, well, Christmas has become a cultural phenomenon. Therefore, don't even bring this of your spiritual core to it. Well, well, it's a holiday for us, so forget about this whole Christmas thing or this this your faith thing. <laughs> I would say good luck with that. <laughs> because, <laughs> because honestly, honestly, um, it's just like saying, hey, Toyota is, is a Japanese company, but Toyota is also an American company, and we use it as an American company, just derob it of all the Japanese um, imprints, because it's our own forget about Japan. That's not particularly correct, because there is is a brand. Christmas is a brand of its own. The season for which we've shaped that holiday around time has something to do with that brand. Well, unless we want to kind of say, okay, yeah, let's end it, which is a move some people want to end the Christmas part and keep it at the holiday part. But again, that's the difference between my African background. I'm an American citizen too, by the way. That's the difference between my African background and what I saw here in Africa. We have three major religions, okay, in most parts of Africa. We have African traditional religion. We have Islamic religion. We have Christian religion, okay? And in my country, do you know, everybody celebrates everybody. So we're not going to say, oh, because I'm a Christian, therefore, the public holiday that is... um. The, 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 that is unique to the Islamic community or African traditional religion, I shouldn't give, I shouldn't celebrate in their joy. Like, oh yeah, this is important to them. Wow, wonderful. Why would I take away the symbolism for them simply because I want to be inclusive? By doing that, do you know what I've done? What I've done is destroy their identity, telling them that what they think is important to them is not important at all. Stop it. Close it. That is counterproductive to the whole call for uh, for diversity. You know that? Because if you love a thing and is important to you, it shows reverence to you and respect to you that I respect that. Because it's important to you. So even though it's not your faith and you might not necessarily agree with the theology or the belief behind it, out of respect yes. for humanity, you're still willing to celebrate with them because that is their tradition. And in a sense, it is a form of fellowship with the hopes, of course, under Christian ideals or even under Islamic ideals that one would convert to the other. Uh, similar to where St. Paul wrote in the epistles to the wife uh, to keep the flames lit for her husband who hasn't converted to Christianity yet. Exactly. exactly, because that's what that's what that's what that's what we mean. That's what the scriptures. That's what that's what I would say. Orthodox 
Christian theology means when he says the fundamental dignity of the human person. It means that you are respecting the person and what they care for, for who they are. It doesn't mean you agree, but you don't dismiss them simply because you don't believe in their faith. You respect that. You want to see it from their perspective before you can now make a compelling argument about yours. And then the truth should win. But it begins with that vantage point of respect. Again, you see, I am not, I am not one of those people of faith who are shy about their faith. If you read my work, you will know that I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I love it because it's part of who I am. And I, I have known there is no need for me to be apologetic for who I am. Why would I do that? That's, that goes counter to my identity for who I am. Because God wants us to celebrate who we are. But, so I am very bold about it. But at the same time, if I find somebody who does not believe in what I believe, you know what? I respect that person too. But if that person tells me that what I believe is nonsense, I will say, hey, can we talk? This is why I believe what I believe. Let me hear what you believe. And then we can now have an argument. Mm -hmm. Argument in the traditional sense, not argument in the sense of fighting with each other. No, 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 not argument in the sense of, when I say argument, I mean we can now present different value systems and truth quality of our perspectives. And then if we are reasonable enough, we can weigh and say, hey, this is compelling, this is not. That, that's the, the that's, it's not, if you love it, it should be palpable, people should know that. Because, again, let me say this, because this is important. This may be a very important moment. And thank you for giving me this long time to have this conversation. Because I've noticed, you see, in the business world, which you are familiar with, nobody will enter into a business relationship with somebody who is not sure of himself or herself. Because it means the person can, that business is not going to work. Because when push comes to shove, the person backs down. The whole structure is destroyed. But if you see somebody that is ready to stand for the principles they believe in their business, that's the kind of person you want to take risk with. The principle may be bad, may be good. It doesn't matter now. What is important is that this person can stand for what value they believe in. You you would like to have a relationship with that person. But you see somebody who is as unstable as water. Oh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, but, you know, there's that Christian thing. Let's just keep it for Sunday. Why would I trust you? But why are you a Christian, by the way? Because you are not, okay, if you don't believe it, why are you living it? So you are living a lie? Is that, is that authenticity? No, not at all. 
or I, I see I, I see this even among among so-called priests or clergymen. I mean, oh yeah, you know, you know, I'm just a clergy, but you know, it's something we do in our church, you know, um, you know, and uh, it's just you know, is why are you giving excuses? Why did you become one if you don't want it? Why? Yeah, they almost become a professional Christian at that point instead of an actual Christian. Yeah. As if to say that being a Christian is a crime or being a faith person is a crime. It's not. You chose it. Celebrate it. Have fun with it. <laughs> yeah, Jesus I know. turned water into wine and he did attend weddings and celebrations. So yeah, it makes sense. Are you apologetic for the thing you think is important to you? It doesn't make sense. And those are the kind of things I say, hey, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, some will say, yeah, but the public doesn't want to see those stuff. Beautiful, beautiful argument. Beautiful. But the public also doesn't want to see those unique cultures and different experiences. The last time I checked, religion is part of, is an essential part of culture. Mm -hmm. You see, you see where I'm going with that? No, absolutely, Father. Yeah. So, people don't want to see that. Oh, but people want to see culture. Oh, we are a community where we promote diverse cultures and peoples and languages and experiences and, okay. But religion is the oldest Second to language, religion is the oldest by historical record because it's, it, it's worked in tandem with language from the start of human society. Because it is in their expressions of their rituals. In fact, many of the numerical codes of ancient traditions were written in the context of religious experiences whether it is native religion or uh, religious religions of the book, it doesn't matter. In fact, I can stretch it further. The very first commercialization of mass production was structured around religious typography because it's integral part of culture. Father, I want to ask this as, again, we're approaching the Advent season in itself. What would you tell Christians that either had been lapsed Christians and are looking to reconnect to their faith or someone looking to a faith now that have tried the spiritualist approach without a conviction or a, uh, a solid foundation for one any particular faith to reach out and seek your book? I don't want it to be like my, I'm telling them that my book is the solution to their spiritual problem. I will be, I will be, <laughs> I will be overselling to say that. And that's not true. But my book can help. The uniqueness of my book is you see a witness, someone who is living it by his, by the grace of God. And perhaps reading them because there are so many personal examples and journey and bro my brokenness and my uh, 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 encounters 
you, from the introduction, you notice this is someone who has been touched by the work of God, by grace, by God. And that's why he writes it freely. Maybe that could be an inspiration because people want to see witnesses. But having said that, deeper life, uh, deeper experiences with God, you can do so much if you are seeking it by your power. There are limits to what you can do. But it's only when I open my heart and say, God, I know I cannot do it by myself. It's not just something that is human, that is based on my mind or my spirit. Mine, a mine. No, that I know you are real and I need to see you. I need to be touched by you. And this is one of the beautiful things about Christianity that makes it radical. It is not you searching for God. It is God searching for you. And he stands at the door of the heart. Like that poet, Francis Thompson, the British poet, who write like the hound of heaven, looking for you. It's for you to say, hey, Lord, I just need you. Because that's what I did when I was 14. And he touched my heart in a new way to see that he's alive. Unless one has had this kind of personal, profound touch, Religious experiences will be mere rituals that have no power in it, as St. Paul would say. So we need that. What I've discovered is that we've, we, many of us live in what I call cultural religion. It is our culture. My father was a Catholic. My father was a Christian. My father was a Muslim. We grew up. It is part of our life. It's our worldview. So it becomes a family inheritance. It is a cultural religion. And that's where the problem is. One has to make their personal commitment to it. And say, hey, it's not just an inherited religion. God, I want to have a personal relationship with you. So that when I come to the rituals, to the liturgy, to the prayers, then I can connect better with the spirit of the liturgy. So I don't know if this um, contextualizes your your question here because I don't know. That's why I say it. Right. No, it's a, absolutely it does. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Father. Uh-huh. Uh, Father, before I let you go, and again, as we are heading into the the uh, Advent season, uh, would you be willing to give us a blessing for the coming holiday? Absolutely. Um, wherever you may be, wherever you are at this moment, Listening to this phone conversation, remember this. God loves you first. And God in Christ is here to accompany you through the ups and downs of life. To accompany your loved ones, your family, through the busy schedules of the last phase of the year. He says, Peace to your soul. 
peace to your heart. Peace to your mind. I love you with an everlasting love. And I've drawn you, God says in the prophecy of Jeremiah, with my loving kindness. Approach the last part of this year with that attitude of someone loved by God. And it is well with your soul. Amen. Father and Dr. Maurice Emelu, an encounter, a daily discovery in Divine Word, Volume 1 for the Advent season. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this afternoon and this conversation about your book, the first of three volumes. Uh, where can we find your blog? And if you have a social media presence beyond the blog, what would that be? Yeah, my my blog, my web, personal website is R E V E M E L U dot com. R E V E M E L U dot com. That's Rev dot com. And my ministry actually that promotes cross cultural Catholic evangelization is also you can see the ministry link as well in that website. But the book is available in any bookstore you ask. Um, it's available on Amazon. It's available on Pathway. If you come to my website, you have discounts for gift items for Christmas um, as well. And, uh, yeah, it's available everywhere. If you ask your local bookstore, they will make copies available to you as well. Perfect. Father, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. God bless you and uh, you know, have a blessed Advent season and a Merry Christmas. Thank you, and Merry Christmas, Robert. Thank you for the opportunity. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I I appreciate your time, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh -huh. Uh -huh.